Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Now, uh, would you keep praying for that? Um, that? That's a big deal for us. Okay, uh, we are in Proverbs chapter 12. What glances here? Proverbs chapter 12. Uh, we've been studying through this book. If you'd like a Bible, you don't have one, they're available for you. One of the ushers will be happy to bring it. Just kind of throw your hand up and they'll, they'll run one up to you. Proverbs, about halfway through your Bibles. We're about halfway through the book uh, we've been considering. And it's been a, it's been a fun study for me because um, I've read through the Proverbs and I've done the whole, you know, read one proverb a day that matches up with the date on the calendar. And, you know, I've done that, but I don't know if I've ever really stopped and dug into the book of Proverbs and really considered and thought through these things. So it has been really helpful for me. I don't know if you're getting anything out of it, but I've been enjoying it. And one of the things that I have been uh, struck by, uh, particularly as I'm teaching, is, is to sort of see the responses of a lot of people here in the congregation of that sort of that knowing look or that knowing head nod. Uh, because some of the information we're receiving has been borne out in so many of our li- life experiences. And so we're living our lives and we're going through and you're like, yep, I know that one's true. Yep, I've, I've been through, through that. And I've been feeling that myself and I've been talking to some people and hearing that. So truly I believe that that book that I quote a lot, Laws from Heaven for Life on Earth, that, that commentary on Proverbs, I, I think truly that is what this book of Proverbs is. It's Laws from Heaven for Life on Earth, that God knows how we ought to live our lives. And he knows what makes sense and what is wise and what will bring about fruit. And he knows those things that will ultimately come back uh, for our harm. And so he tells us, isn't that awesome? And so we've been taking our time looking at it. And today we'll pick up in verse 15. We're about halfway through chapter 12. Verse 15, the first verse today says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is wise in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Now this is not the first time we've had a verse that kind of spoke about this idea of seeking counsel from another. And so a little while back in chapter 11, we read this in verse 14. It says, where there is no guidance of people fail, falls, excuse me, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And then in chapter 15, we're going to look at a verse that many of us are familiar with. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so again and again, through the book of Proverbs, you have these recurring themes and ideas. One of those is the value of receiving godly counsel and of seeking godly counsel. And so a few different times it talks about this idea in those three verses that I looked at. If you want to go it on your own, You can go it on your own if you want to, but don't be surprised if you slip up every now and again and sometimes fall significantly trying to go it on your own because there is an abundance of wisdom in an abundance of counselors, I should say. And so back to Proverbs chapter 12, notice in verse 15, we read this idea that a wise man or woman is going to listen to the advice of others. Now pay attention to that though. They're going to listen to the advice of others. It means you need to be willing to listen to the advice of others. You don't necessarily have to take all the advice that you receive, but you have to, at the very least, invite other people to speak into your life. You have to add into the equation of the decision you're about to make the insight, the experiences, the wisdom of other people. And in some cases, it's just people that are being separate from the situation that have a more... 
uh, unbiased ability to look at the situation. And so at the very least, you must be willing to listen to the advice of others. And what that means is to give it an honest hearing. All right, go ahead, tell me what you're going to say. Okay, you're done, good. Now I move on. That's not an honest hearing. You have to be willing to listen, to weigh it out, to stop before making a decision, and say, you know what, I'm going to give that an honest hearing. And when we do that with consistency in our walks with the Lord, and of course, when we're seeking counsel of people that we respect and we admire, and they, we know how they're going to go about making their decisions, not just sort of people that are going to agree with us necessarily, but people that we know that, you know what, they're going to tell me the truth here, then we'll seek that wisdom. The wise person does that. Now, the fool refuses to do that, as the verse tells us. And one of the commentators that I like to read, I like to read a lot of the older commentators, because my general thinking is this. If it was good enough to last 100 years, and it's still out there, then it must be pretty good. And if it's just sort of the commentary du jour, well, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. So I can only buy so many books, and so I buy the old ones. Um, and they're free on iBooks, so there you have it. That, that's about how much I like to spend. But one of those old commentators, he said this. He said, the fool knows so little that he thinks he knows everything. The fool knows so little that he thinks he knows everything. The wise person realizes he doesn't know everything, or she doesn't know everything, and so she goes and seeks out the advice of others. One of the most significant marks of wisdom is our willingness to be taught by other people. One of the most significant marks of wisdom is our willingness to be taught by other people. The wise person recognizes that they don't know everything. The wise person recognizes that they have blind spots. The, the wise person realizes that if they want to keep themselves from unnecessary stumbles or significant and major falls, that they will recognize their limitations and pursue the advice and counsel of other people. So do yourself a favor. Pursue some other people that you trust and invite them to speak into your life biblical truths. Amen? You're going to be better for it. You really will. And you're going to keep yourself from needless failures uh, that inevitably come when we, we block everybody else out. So verse 15. Now verse 16 says to us, it says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Did you see that guy in the football game last week that didn't like the flag the ref threw, so he threw the flag? He went and got the flag and threw it into the stands. I, like, I thought it was funny. Um, and he, he thought it was funny. He started laughing afterwards, like, well, I don't know why I did that. Um, but anyhow, he was mad, and everyone knew it. And so he threw the flag that the ref had thrown at him. Anyway, let's move on. It says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. And once again here, Solomon is drawing a contrast. He's been doing this throughout, really, this whole section and really through the book. He draws a contrast between the way that the wise person responds to things and the way the fool responds to things. And so here we have a contrast between the way, the way a wise person responds to a frustrating situation and the way a fool responds to a frustrating situation. The fool here responds, and everybody knows it at once. And so he's angry, and everyone knows, or she is angry, and everyone knows. Conversely, notice, it says that the wise person, it calls him or her the prudent person, but it calls the wise person, or it says of the wise person, that they ignore an insult. They know how to exercise self-control. There's an account in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, it's chapter 25. I'll give you the highlights, you can go back and read it. 
And it's the story involving the righteous man, David. And it's an instance when he nearly allowed his vexation, I like that word, he nearly allowed his anger to get the better of him. If you're not familiar, the story is essentially he was involved with this fellow Nabal. Uh, Nabal was just a guy in town, and he had shown uh, an over-the-top, David had shown an over-top, over-the-top amount of kindness toward Nabal and his servants. And so he, he could have done something else, but he didn't, and he was really kind to the guy. And then a time came where David needed a little bit of kindness, and specifically he needed it from Nabal and his servants. And Nabal's response was essentially, I don't know who this David fella is. And so when David needed a little bit of reciprocation, it didn't come back to him. And instead, David got back a little bit of a smart-alecky response. I could deal with a nice, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, we're not going to be able to help it at this time. I don't need your smart-alecky-ness, especially when I can kick your butt, uh, is what <laughs> David is thinking. All right? I don't need that from you. And so he gets this little smart-alecky response. Essentially, Nabal tells him to take a hike. And David's response is, is pretty, it, it resonates with me. His response is, he says to his 400 men, everyone strap on your sword. We're going to kill him for mouthing off to me. All right, That's his response. He wants to go and he wants to kill him. And he begins to make his way there. Fortunately, there's a lady. Her name is Abigail. And Abigail makes her way to David, and, and with great deference, she speaks to David. Essentially says, I understand, Nabal, I think the name means something like he's a fool or something. Uh, that's what the name means. And she said, truly, this man is what his name is, or something like that. And she speaks wisdom into David's life. She tells him to kind of relax and settle down. She essentially says, look, before you do something that you will never be able to take back, stop Think about what you're about to do. And David receives her advice, uh, and he does that, and he, uh, and he doesn't kill Nabal uh, or go to war. So a wise man or woman, you, we may get angry. Did you see how I just included myself there in being wise? Uh, that was a little selfish. But a wise man or woman, you may get angry. You may get frustrated, when, especially when there's just cause for it. Um, you should probably get angry. But with wisdom, and the wise person demonstrates their wisdom when they keep that anger in check. And that's what Solomon is trying to communicate here. And all the time you hear people that fly off the handle, and they'll say something to the effect of, well, that's just who I am. I've referenced this before. People say, that's just my, my family. We've always done that sort of thing. And I, I think that phrase, that's just who I am, is very telling. Because Solomon says... A fool flies off the handle. That's just who you are when you fly off the handle and you allow yourself to do that. And a wise person will not allow themselves to do it. And so, yes, indeed, that is just who you are. So I would throw this out at you. If, you, if flying off the handle like that describes you more often than not, then this is an area that the Lord wants you to bring into subjection to him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're more a follower of Jesus Christ than you are Irish. Have you ever heard that like expression, well, we're just Irish, we get angry, nothing we can do about it kind of thing? No, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ first. And all that stuff has to be brought into subjection to Jesus Christ. So if you're a person, whether you're Irish or not, and you tend to kind of fly off the handle, you want to bring that to the Lord. There is wisdom in doing so. Submit that to him. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent, the wise man ignores 
an insult, okay? Verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness honor, uh, excuse me, utters deceit. Pretty straightforward there. There's an unspoken admonition from Solomon that each of us should look to be men or women that speak the truth. That's his unspoken admonition. He's commending the person that speaks the truth. Now, some folks think, well, I wasn't under oath. I wasn't on the stand. I had my fingers crossed behind me. And so, you know, in those instances, we don't have to speak the truth. Of course, if I raise my right hand, then I need to speak the truth. What Solomon is communicating to us is that the wise individual is a person whose life is marked by truth. And I think this is what Jesus is getting to. In the New Testament, you remember Jesus, he said, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In some cases, you can't even have hair. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil, Jesus says. To say it another way, what Jesus is saying is, be the type of person where your lives speak for themselves. No doubt you've been with people that you know are prone to be exaggerators or liars, but now they really want to communicate, I'm not lying. And they'll say to you, I swear to God, man, I really do. Or they'll say, I swear on my mother's grave, you can believe me. I'd rather just to be able to believe you because you've never ever told me a lie or you always speak the truth to me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Be the type of person where your lives speak for themselves. We don't need to be people that take all sorts of oaths and things like that so that people will believe us in this instance. We want to be people that people believe us in every instance because we've established that track record. That's how the wise man or woman lives. So be a person of truth. And honestly, some of us need to relearn that. Because we, we grew up in this sense of just, I'll tell a lie to get myself out of a situation. I'll deal with the issues later. I'll exaggerate the situation to try to convince people. And we need to relearn how to walk in truth. And Solomon exhorts us to do that. Verse 18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And similar to verse 16, Solomon earlier said that the fool allows his vexation to be known instantly. And, and so here, so too, is a fool exposed by the way in which they speak to and about others. And whether that's in anger or not, but the fool is known by the way they speak to and about others. And once again, Solomon reminding us of a lesson we've been learning through the book and that is simply this, that our words have the ability to bring either hurt or healing into people's lives. Our words have the ability to bring either hurt or healing into people's lives. And as we've seen in a number of different places already, Solomon is exhorting us, Jesus exhorts us, that the follower of Christ must be very careful with the words that they allowed to come out of their mouths. Because we know that the words we speak have the ability to bring uh, health or harm to a person. Jesus gave this strong warning. This is a, listen to these words. Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Think about that the next time you want to throw a little zinger at somebody. And that's a strong thing. I remember once I was talking with my brother, and I don't know 
much about my brother sometimes. Um, I don't know what he thinks about whatever. Uh, and I think sometimes he figures out what I think and takes the opposite view just to have fun with me. Uh, and so one time we were talking about politics of some sorts, and he said something, and very politely, I said to him, you're an idiot, like that. <laughs> and he said, why would you call me an idiot? That's real nice. And I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything by it, or whatever. I really didn't. I just thought he was an idiot, and so I thought he should know, you know, or whatever. And then I, I, I realized it hit me, you can't just throw words around. You can't just say things to people and think it's no big deal or whatever. We need to be careful. Every one of our words will be judged here, given account for every careless word. And that's what it was. It was a careless word that came out of our mouth. So certainly a sobering remark the next time we want to throw some kind of a cutting uh, comment at people. Verse 19, it says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but... For a moment. And again, I think I've said this even today, you know, you might be able to tell a lie to get yourself out of a sticky situation, like right now, and the lie comes out, but it'll come back and it'll get you. At some point, you're going to have to face the music, and so be truthful. Truthful lips endure forever. Verse 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. I think this is an interesting verse here. It gives us this idea that the wicked... Those that aren't walking with God, they have a heart of deception and guile because, notice, their heart is given to devise, and because they do, their heart is given to devising evil. Now, what I find interesting, though, is because their heart is given to devising evil, deception and guile fill their heart. Do you see the cycle that is going on there? But notice this, though. The converse is just as true because the verse goes on to say, but those who plan peace have joy. So those who have joy plan for peace, and those that plan for peace have joy. It's a cycle. And so it's either going to be this cycle of deceit and guile, or it's going to be this cycle of joy and peace. So quite simply, if you want to have a joyous day, then imagine or plan ways to bring peace to the lives, peace to the lives of other people. Because as we learn here, joy fills the heart of those who do. And so imagine ways to be a blessing to other people and then begin to do that and serve other people and be kind to other people in just simple, simple little ways. And I'm not even going to pretend to, you know what to do. Hold the door for someone. Be kind for someone or whatever. Drop by the church office with cookies or, or something like that. You know, just simple things like that. They go a long way, a long way. Yeah. But I think that's why it matters what we listen to and what we watch or what we allow to, to enter into our minds because those things impact our hearts and then those things impact our lives. The Apostle Paul, he said this. This is unrelated, but I do think it, it connects. I mean, it wasn't his purpose. But he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Meditate on those things, and it impacts our lives as well. So again, those who have joy, think about the plan for peace, as Solomon said, and those that uh, plan for peace, they have joy. It's this cycle. And the wise person will take care of where they allow their heart and their mind to go, okay? 
Verse 21, it continues, it says, No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Now, I think this is just one of those general truths of the book of Proverbs. You may recall I pointed that out when we began, that these are not necessarily all absolute truths or promises, but these are general truths that, generally speaking, a life of wisdom and righteousness is a life that is free from the difficulties and drama that mark a life of foolishness and wickedness. Generally speaking, no ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Verse 22 says, again, the issue of lying. It says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Has Solomon made himself clear enough yet that the Lord hates lying? All right, he calls it an abomination. God finds lying abominable. And since he despises it, if you're his follower, then you should despise it. Certainly in your own life. None of us likes to be lied to. We get so offended when people lie to us. Oh, I remember a story. Would you like to hear a story? I was down in uh, Miami. First time in like 135 years that it dipped below freezing or something in Miami. It was like 30 degrees. It was freezing. I just came back from a mission trip in probably Belize or something like that. So it was 90 degrees there. I'm in a pair of shorts or whatever. It was this whole long mess, and we're missing flights and connections and all of that. And so the, ho the airline messed things up, so they were going to put us up at a hotel. And the hotel was going to, I'm, I'm going to get to it. The hotel was going to come. They were going to send a driver, and we're wait just wait outside by the side of the road. We'll see you. We're waiting outside, 35-degree weather. I'm in shorts and a T-shirt. I'm freezing out here at 12 o'clock at night and all this stuff. And no truck is coming. No bus is coming to pick us up. And it's getting ridiculous. So it's a half hour, 40 minutes that I'm sitting out here in the cold, but they said, make sure you're out there so we see you. And I'm waiting out there. Finally, I send one of the guys in, and then I go in, and I'm going to tell some people some things. And so I talk to the guy, and the guy gives me the number. I call the guy. Oh, I'm, he's right there. He'll, you know, he's just zipping around. I'll be right there. Go on out. I go back out. 30 minutes, I'm sitting out there. And we go through this process again. I finally, like, what is going on? I said, well, what's your driver looking at? I'll walk to him. You know, is he looking at a billboard? I'll go find that billboard. Just tell me where he's at. And there's a pause. And then finally, the guy says to me, well, sir, I'm sorry, I lied. We haven't sent anyone yet. Are you out of your mind? I was like, I wasn't very happy. Were you there on that trip? I forget who was with me. Jay, you were there? Yeah, Jay, you should have seen Jay. <laughs> Jay demonstrated that wise person and the vexation. He kept it in, took a deep breath. All right, but if I remember correctly. All right. But anyway, it makes you so mad. Just tell me the truth. I'll go inside and get a coffee, and I'll wait. But don't lie to me. Just don't lie to me. And we get so angry when people lie to us. But then we might tell a lie to some others. It's not that big a deal. You go wait outside in the cold of Miami. You'll see. It is a deal. And so certainly don't be a bold-faced liar. I think we all know that. But I think what the Lord would have us kind of consider here a little bit is this. You know, sometimes when people say, is that the truth? You say, well, technically, I think Jesus cares about that too. I imagine you do as well. And so even in those little exaggerations and all of those sorts of things, the Lord wants us to be people that are marked by truth. Solomon keeps emphasizing this idea. Again, it may be a whole lot easier to simply employ a little deception to kind of get out of that little problem that is there. And temporarily, you may get out of it. 
But even if that is the case, and even if it never comes back to bite you, notice what we see here. It says that God, really, I'll put it the words here, God delights in those who act faithfully. So again, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but next verse, or part of the verse, those who act faithfully are his delight. And so those who deal truly and sincerely in all their dealings are God's delight. Those are the ones with whom he is well pleased, and that's the person that each of us should aspire to be. That's what Solomon is telling us here. And so be a truthful person. Be over-the-top truthful as possible, okay? Verse 23, let me take a little sip here. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is really helpful today. There you go. Verse 23, it says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but a heart of folly proclaims, excuse me, a heart of fools proclaims folly. Now, there's, there's a few different ways, I think, that we could interpret this and understand this. Both, I think, are equally true. Perhaps Solomon had both ideas in mind. Maybe he just had one of the two in mind or maybe even something else altogether. But I think the first way we could understand this is that a wise person or a prudent man, as our verse tells us, conceals knowledge. And I think the first way we can understand that is this, and that is simply that we should not be a gossip. And so sometimes we know things. We have information. We're privy to certain information. The wise person, the prudent person, feels no need to run around and tell everyone else and let everyone else know that information or reveal, hey, you know, I'm on the inn. I got some insider information that I want to share with everyone else. But rather, in their wisdom, they conceal that knowledge and they become now, in doing so, a person that can be trusted and relied upon. So a prudent man conceals knowledge. That's one way you can understand this verse. A second way it's not so much spiritual, but it will go a long way in your relationships with other people. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It, that is that it could be understand, uh, understood, I should say, in the context of not being a knowledge show-off. You know knowledge show-offs? Alex Trebek, you know Alex Trebek? <laughs> he drives me crazy. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Do you need to have that tone? You got the answer right there in front of you. you know, and yet you need to show us all what you know. What a prudent man does not do. A prudent man doesn't go around showing how much he or she knows. The truly wise person doesn't feel the need to run around proclaiming their wisdom, proclaiming their knowledge. And in fact, people tend to honor that person for not doing so. Their words become more precious. And so when I was young, there was this commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, old people, people listen, right? Has anyone ever heard E.F. Hutton speak? No, none of us. Okay, so when he does, it's actually an organization, but when E.F. Hutton speaks, people kind of, too, they listen in. They want to know what this guy has to say because he's not always talking. He's not always sharing what he knows. I'm sure you've been in situations where you're having a conversation and somebody makes a, a point and it's a great point. You're like, oh, that's good. And then somebody else feels, well, you know, I, I, may, I don't know what's going on in their mind, but maybe they're thinking, I hope everyone thinks I'm smart too. And so then they share the same exact point. And you're like, yeah, we got it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to do that. Just live your life. Your knowledge will come out. People will see it eventually. And they'll respect it when it eventually does. And so when a guy like E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone's inclined to listen. Now, the prudent man doesn't never speak. It's not like you can't ever say something, wise man or woman. 
But when you do, people are going to tune in. And when you do, they know it's not going to be to build you up so everyone can see how smart you are, but it's going to be for the edification of other people. It's going to be for their benefit, something that they need to hear, and so it'll benefit other people, not to show off. So the wise person doesn't feel the need to show off all their wisdom. The fool, on the other hand, but the heart of the fool proclaims folly. The fool, on the other hand, who has no wisdom, feels compelled to spout off all that they do know. And again, as we quoted recently, Chuck Smith, better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open it and dispel all doubt. Uh, and too often that, that happens. So I would just say this, the next time you're in conversation, group of people or something like that, before interjecting your thoughts and your ideas, just a simple question, why am I sharing this? What's my purpose in communicating or introducing this information into the conversation? What am I trying to get here? Everyone look at me and say, wow, you're so, so wise. All right, it's a mistake to do so. I didn't mean that as a joke. It, it's a mistake to do so, okay? So those of you that laughed. You know. Verse 24, it says, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. I, I think Solomon here, quite frankly, says this, that dedicated, diligent people, generally speaking, are people that will rise to positions of leadership. Uh, he says it, that they will rule. Dedicated, diligent people, generally speaking, are the people that rise to positions of leadership. And the converse would be those that are lazy, those that are slothful, as it says here, generally speaking, are going to be those that end up being people that are put to forced labor, which might mean slavery, but it maybe in our context would be more that the only job that they're ever going to have is one where they're forced to work in that particular um, place. So it could mean that the only position that they'll ever find themselves worthy of is the lowest one in the company, uh, or it could be that people are going to have to watch them and constantly be on them to doing their particular tasks, certainly not the leader of that organization. But either way, Solomon's point is this that the proclivity toward laziness and slothfulness is a serious one. It's not the first time he's brought it up in our study of Proverbs, and it won't be the last time. He is concerned about this. And so I'll be honest, you know, we always ride teenagers and things like that. Get out of bed, you're lazy, or whatever it may be. Part of the reason why we as parents do that is because we know that this is going to be a character error in your life that's very important for the rest of your life. And so it's 1 o'clock. It's time to get out of bed all right, and get to work. Rake the lawn for your father uh, or something like that. So I'll say this. If you want to get ahead in your place of business, put your head down and work. If you want to get ahead in your place of business, put your head down and work. Be diligent in your duties. Be the type of person that gets the job done even when no one else is watching you to make sure you'll get the job done. That's what you have to do with a slave. You have to crack the whip. But be the, place of per be the type of person that gets a job done even when no one else is there to monitor you or to crack that whip. And then you do those things, and you do those things consistently, and your present higher-ups are going to remember that when it's time to appoint someone else to become a higher-up as well. Because the present higher-ups don't want to have to crack the whip to their colleagues. They want to have people there that they know they can trust and are going to do the work for themselves and make sure other people are as well. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, and it's a story of a man that goes on a long journey. 
And just before he goes on a long journey, he, he's a wealthy man. He gets sort of things in line back home with his business and his land and all of that. And he calls together a number of servants. He calls three servants together. And to the one servant, he gives five talents. A talent was a monetary unit in that day. Uh, and I, I forget how much it is. It's a ton of money. Um, it's a lot of money. Let's just say that. All right. All right. So he gives him five talents. Another he gives two talents to. And a third, he gives one talent to. So each of them are given a whole bunch of money that they should be able to accomplish something with. All right? So that's the point there. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. Then that man goes away. And while he is away, it's expected that the servants are going to get to work. And they're going to manage those talents. They're going to cause them to be profitable. And two of the, the men in our story, they do so. The one that was given two talents and the one that was given five talents. They turn a profit. They almost, in both cases, almost double their money. The third servant, the one that had received only one talent, he goes and it tells us he digs a hole in the ground and he hides the talent away. Now, my first question, as we, we just look at the, the basics of the, the introduction of the parable, my first question is this. Why is it that the first servant was given five talents, while the third servant was only given one talent. Kind of doesn't seem fair, right? Could it be that the first servant and the third servant had already proven what they were worthy of being entrusted with? I think so. In light of our verse here in Proverbs, I think that's the exact reason why one was given uh, five, whereas the other was given one. And in fact, when you continue to read Matthew 25 and come toward the end of this parable, you see that when the owner of the land returns home and he has this assessment, all right, what did you do with the five, the three, uh, the two, uh, and the one, he begins to reward each of the servants based on their diligence and their efforts, the diligence of their efforts, uh, he begins to reward them. And Matthew 25 summarizes the landowner's response. It says this, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And, and there again is that principle. The diligent will rise to positions of leadership. The lazy and the slothful will be put to forced labor. And so we see the words of Solomon, I think, echoed in Jesus' parable in the New Testament. Solomon again says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. I think most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, we want to advance in life, in our workplace, in our business, the organizations we're involved in. We would like to advance uh, to the highest level of our abilities so that we can really use our gifts and our abilities you know, to the fullest extent. The way to advance is not brown-nosing someone. I've been around those folks. The way to advance is not brown-nosing. The way to advance is not scheming. And coming up with all sorts of plans of how you can step on others or badmouth others or put other people in a bad light so that you can kind of rise to the top. That's not the way to advance or any of the other ways, myriad of ways that people come up with to get ahead at their place of business and get that promotion. According to Solomon, who the Bible teaches us is, was the wisest man that ever lived on the earth. According to Solomon, the way to advance in your place of business or in your organization is diligence and faithfulness. That's the way to get ahead. So be the hardest working person there. The fool rejects that idea. The wise man or woman embraces that truth. And so I think that's who we should be. Solomon, he continues, he says in verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. 
And again, we've spoken a bunch about the importance of the words that we speak. Here is just another example, a prime example of how helpful our words can be that we speak to another person. Solomon says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs a man down, but a good word makes him glad. According to Solomon, the right word in the right season can change a person's entire outlook on things. The right word in the right season can change a person's entire outlook on things. And now notice my statement, the right word in the right season can change a person's outlook, entire outlook on things. There are times when it's probably best not to say anything in that particular moment. No word would be the right word in that particular moment. You think of the example of Job in uh, the Old Testament book of Job. And Job's counselors, they come, they're his buddies, they're his friends, and they come and they initially, they sit with him, which is exactly what Job needed. And then they begin to speak. And it's interesting, it says the youngest to the oldest. I, I wonder if that sort of implies like, the oldest person has plenty of time to make mistakes and learn his lessons. But they begin to speak now to Job. And if you look at their words, almost everything they say is absolutely correct theologically, is right. It was the right words, but it was not in the right season. And then in other instances, you have people, maybe they waited a good amount of time and it was the right season, but the words weren't correct. And they gave them messages that was not what the person needed to hear and certainly wasn't something that was coming from the Lord. And so here, it's the right word in the right season. It can change a person's entire outlook on lives. Now, it strikes me that Solomon, he says, but a good word makes him glad. Now, we might think, oh, it makes him happy or it cheers him up. You know, sometimes the messages that we share with other people, well, well cheer up. That eh, doesn't help me. It doesn't. And that's not a biblical message to tell someone to cheer up or, or something like that. But Solomon says here, a good word makes him glad. You might take that away from it. It's interesting. The word that Solomon chooses there for glad is a word that has a religious connotation to it. That's how it's used uh, throughout other places in the Old Testament. And so whereas we might say cheer up or it'll be okay or turn that frown upside down. You know, put a smile on it and you'll feel better for doing so. Uh, or all of these sort of platitudes that we oftentimes will throw out. Solomon instead points to the place that the words are going to have a religious impact on the person. That's the word that he chooses to use there. That is, Solomon points people, or suggests that we point people to truth. Point them to the promises that are ours in Christ. Point them to the reality of the resurrection. Point them to the, the truth that this world is not our home. Don't just say things like cheer up or tomorrow will be a better day. You don't know that. But what you do know is true is what the scripture teaches us about eternity. And what you do know is true that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. And you do know that it's true that he has his hand on you and he is with you. And he'll never bring you to a place that is beyond what you're able to bear up. Those are truths that you would communicate. And I think that's what Solomon is saying, that we minister the right word at the right time. And though the problem may not go away, the person's heart and mind will now be centered on something new. And it's that change of mindset that impacts their heart and leaves them glad, or I'll use the word really, leaves them rejoicing. And so you point them to the right things and it has the right 
impact. And just once again, a good reminder of the power of our words and the impact that our words can have. Verse 26, a couple more verses today. It says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, interesting, doesn't seem like the most complicated verse. Uh, If you're reading a different version, really almost every version, not everyone is like 50, but almost every version takes a a slightly different understanding of this particular verse. And so, though it's not the most complicated thing in the world, uh, it has been a tricky verse for Bible translators to translate. So, for instance, this is how the King James says it. It says, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. The NIV and some of the more modern translations seem to go a very different direction. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So the second phrase, they all seem to get it. The first phrase, it's sort of like, not exactly sure where this is going. And that's why you have sort of a different idea. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. The other one says, the righteous chooses their friends carefully. And so I'll try and blend them all together. I think the idea seems to be communicating that a man or a woman's righteousness will lead them to good places. And conversely, a man or a woman's wickedness will do the exact opposite. That one is going to lead people to the place of excellency with good neighbors and things like that. The other will end up, as it says, leading them astray. And so the man or the woman of righteousness submits themselves to God and his ways and experiences the sure results for doing so. That's the idea there, the sure results for doing so. And as we have been seeing, such decisions, yes, Lord, I'll go where you have me to go. I'll do what you have me to do. Such decisions typically tend to keep us from troubling circumstances. Typically, they tend to cause our lives to be happier and filled with a greater contentment. And typically, they lead to greater favor with our bosses and our coworkers and the general population, just to tie all of these verses that we've been looking at here together. So the way of righteousness, what does it do? It leads them to the place of excellency. And in contrast, the end of verse 26, the way of wicked leads them astray. So the person thinks that they are getting ahead by scheming and conniving, only to discover, remember back in Proverbs 11:8 that they are acquiring deceptive wages. They think they're getting ahead by using foolish means or wicked means. The person thinks that they can go on sinning without repercussion, only to discover what Paul tells us in the New Testament, that they are going to reap that which they have sown. They think they're getting away with it, but the reality will prove itself out at one time or another. So everything they thought they were accomplishing, everything they thought they were acquiring in their wickedness is found to come up empty. Their wickedness has led them astray. His unspoken exhortation, walk in righteousness. That's his unspoken exhortation here. Everything you long for is found in that endeavor. And Solomon encourages you and exhorts you to do that then. Verse 27, whoever whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Once again, he talks about being lazy. He says here, and there might be two ideas of where he's going, the lazy person will never roast his own game because the lazy person will never get out into the field to catch his own game. He might be saying that, or he might be saying the lazy person will never roast his own game, because even if someone did manage to convince him to get off his couch and get out there to catch something, then he'll bring it home and he'll be too lazy to follow through and finish up the job. 
All right, but either way, Solomon is communicating both scenarios are not looking at slothfulness, laziness very positively. And again, not the first time and not the last time that Solomon is going to address it. So the Lord cares about this issue. And so the idea is presented to us really just as matter of fact in, in the book of Proverbs. The lazy person is going to be hungry. The lazy person is going to be left behind in job advancement. The lazy person is going to find themselves in what? Just straightforward, matter of fact, this is a law from heaven for life on earth. If you want to be diligent and you want to get ahead, be diligent. You want to have food on the table, be diligent. You want to have the animal roasting on the fire, get out there and do it, be diligent. So matter of fact, now I think you can look at it from another angle as well, and that these are exhortations for us to stop and take inventory of our lives. What am I doing with my life? I think this is a good question. What sort of person am I? How would other people characterize me? If I could find a, a good and faithful friend and say, let me ask you, honestly tell me about my, my work ethic. Would that person say, you know what? Well, you're a hard worker. You're diligent. Or they'd say, well, can I be honest? You know, if, I, if I had to be honest, I wouldn't hire you. you know, or something like that. Right, diligence. Would others characterize you as slothful? Please catch this. It's coming enough times in Proverbs the Lord cares about this issue. And if you're a follower of Christ, you should care too. Now, I do not think that the follower of Christ needs to be the biggest or the strongest or the smartest or whatever else at your team or on your business or things like that. I don't think you need to necessarily be the best of the best in each of those things. But I do think the follower of Christ should be right up there in their organization as one of the most diligent, industrious, and hardworking people in the organization. Some people are born or they can develop these traits, intelligence and all these, these sorts of things. Some people, they have those things or they can develop those particular things. And other people will never develop those things. So you don't necessarily have to be the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, or what have you. But diligence is something completely under each of our control. Nothing can keep us from being diligent except us. And Solomon addresses that. So if you're lazy, it's because you decided to, uh, to yourself, I'm going to be lazy. And I'll just get by and get enough. I'll go off to the bathroom for an hour and read the newspaper while everyone else is working and I'm still on the clock. All right? If you've got a problem, that's something else. You know, talk to your boss, you know, that sort of thing here. But if you're lazy, it's because you decided to be. And if you are diligent, it's because you have determined to be so. And that's what the Lord desires. One more verse this morning, verse 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. I've said it three times now. Laws for heaven for life on earth is the commentary that I enjoy. And the general idea of that commentary, as the title suggests, is simply this. Is that God created us. And he created this world and this life that we're living here. And since he is the creator of all of these things, he knows the best way to live our lives. He knows. And he has communicated that. He knows what is in our best interest. He knows what decisions will be for our good. He knows what decisions will be for our detriment. He knows what life choices he can bless and which life choices he has to take his hand off of. He says, I can't bless that. I'm opposed to that. To quote Jesus in the New Testament, he knows the way to abundant life. 
and he came that we might finally be able to experience that life. And so Solomon says, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. In the book of Jeremiah, the Lord declared a verse many of us know. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and, his, and a hope. Every one of the Lord's decrees, every word of wisdom that we're reading here in Proverbs and other parts of the scripture, every one of these things that we've been considering them is for our good. And when we walk in them, we will experience the life that he speaks of as we were created to experience it. When we reject them, we do so to our own destruction. Solomon uses the word death here. Again, you have to remind yourself, the Lord loves me. The Lord loves each of us in this room. The Lord desires good for each of us in this room. That is why he's communicated these things to us. He wants our best, not your best effort. He wants your best. He wants well for you. He desires good for you. And so as that verse, and I didn't realize, everyone likes Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding. And normally, I'm kind of a jerk. Normally, it's like, well, if everybody else likes it, I don't like it anymore. You know, I want to be my own man. You know, this kind of thing. The reality is, it's the verse describing our response to this particular book. If in all of your ways you acknowledge him, he will direct your paths and he will make them straight. He desires good for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for that. Lord, how good it is for us to know, much like a child that has a, a loving and caring parent uh, to help them navigate life, Lord, that we have you in our lives to direct us and guide us and navigate uh, uh, things for us. Lord, to minister to our hearts and speak words of truth, and when we fall, to minister kindness and care, but also conviction to get back on track and to, to be where you would have us to be. Uh, and Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you have given to those that confess Christ as Lord. Lord, you promise us that not only have you forgiven us of our sins, but that you've allowed us to come into right relationship with you. And you've given us the gift of your Spirit to walk with us and to speak words of truth. You've given us your word on the written page for us to read and to meditate on and have your Spirit teach us its meaning. Meaning. And Lord, all of that is your, your kindness, over-the-top kindness that you would continue to reach out to us, though we are yet sinners and though we were sinners, that you would make yourself known to us. And Father, we pray for anyone that is with us today that does not yet have a relationship uh, with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray you would open up their hearts, even now that you would reveal, you know what, I don't know the Lord, and I need to be in a right relationship with him. My sin separates me from God, and yet... The Lord has made a way. I want to take that way. Father, do that work in a person's heart now. Draw them to yourself. Give them new life in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.